Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Hi, and welcome to the Crowdmakers. It's Bill Gertine once again, and with me is such a good-hearted individual. I, I'm so grateful she said yes to the podcast. It's Michelle Kajuara. She's Senior Vice President of Premium Seating Sales and Service at Staples Center at AEG, one of the busiest buildings in the world, practically. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I've asked everyone what they've been doing to better themselves during this time. I don't want to say time off, but time in a different place. Is there a habit that you've started, something you started reading? Have your dogs enjoyed you being around more often? What, what's been going on? Yeah, I love that you called out my dogs. They are enjoying it so much. They're getting long walks, lots of treats uh, and belly rubs. But one thing I started at the very beginning of this was journaling. It was something that I used to do when I traveled. And I thought, this is going to be an interesting little run of time here. I'll, I'll start journaling and see, um, you know, what comes of that. I didn't think, you know, I don't think anybody did at the beginning assume that this was going to be more than a month, maybe two. Uh, but I've now gone through, I don't know how many pens, how many journals, and I'm, I'm very disciplined about doing it every single morning. So I have a book that I'm reading called The Daily Stoic, and it's a daily meditation, 366 of them to account for a leap year. But every day, it's something from one of the Stoics uh, that gets reinterpreted into a present day nugget of wisdom and uh, just being mindful and present and being able to control the things that we can control. And I'm so glad I'm reading it now because it is so apropos to what's happening and how I need to uh, make adjustments um, within myself because there's so much happening externally that I can't. So those are two things that are big for me is I am reading, I'm reading more. I've, I've just read Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, which is great. Uh, I've read Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man by Emmanuel Acho. Um, I'm reading Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey right now. So 2021's off to a good start, but these are things that I've started uh, last year and been able to maintain. So really good habits around reading, meditating, journaling, fitness, eating healthy, lots and lots of stuff. And I, and I think a lot of people have been able to make some redirects uh, in a meaningful way to um, be healthier of mind and body and spirit. So. so fascinating you started journaling because I thought my, to myself, I wanted to do more of that at the beginning and just never did. And I so wish that I had done that. Do you have any plans for that journal? Do you have, as you write it, do you think you may do something with it? I don't. I've thought of more doing something with the journaling that I did while I was traveling. 
um, because those are just rich stories and experiences and insights that is kind of mirroring what Matthew McConaughey did with his book. It was a lot of his journaling and a lot of his experiences that he put together as a memoir of his life and made it really entertaining and fun, but um, just some really good nuggets from, from that. I don't know that I'm going to do anything with this, um, this journal particularly, but I'm going to keep going because it has been such a great practice and such a great brain dump first thing in the morning to wake up and just kind of get some things out on paper. And um, it just helps with the, the, the creativity that I think we have inside of us just always percolating and being able to give that an outlet has been really important for me. So stay tuned, nothing planned yet. <laughs> well, those of you who know, those who know you know of your love of travel and all the things that you've been able to do up till just last March. And most everyone in sports can tell you where they were on that day when they first learned that things were going to be shut down. Where were you at that moment? And, and what was that situation for you? I was working. There was a Kings game. There were rumblings that this thing was going to escalate um, quickly. I had been talking to some friends in the local market and we were all just kind of like, is this thing really as serious as we think it is? And those conversations started to get a little bit more, um, aggressive. And it was, I think staff's getting, you know, sent home. I think this is a real thing. I think fans, I think all the things that we were starting to assume were worst case scenarios started to become part of our narrative. And at that Kings game, I remember just calling anybody that was in the office with us at that time. And I said, let's, let's go to the Lexus club, which is where we host members and, the game had already started, so there wasn't a lot of uh, fans in there, but we just kind of went to the bar and took a collective breather and, and said, this is all going to change. This could all change very quickly. And sure enough, the next day was a Laker game, and that's when um, everything got canceled. Everything that we knew was um, turned on its head. And I'm grateful for that moment and that pause where we were able to um, just – take a, a look around, take inventory of where we were and that things were going to change. And we don't know when it was going to come back to normal, but yes, that, that was a moment in time that'll be frozen in my memory forever. Yeah. I think for many people it will be, and I think we'll be so appreciative once things are back to at least the point where we can actually have some fans and maybe at a percentage, but just something different than what we're going through now. Goodness. Trust me. We are so like we have so much like anticipation for that that call that whatever that bat signal is that uh assemble like we're coming back and uh and we're just we're really looking forward to it but we know we've got a lot of work to do before we get there and we want to do it in the right way and um and i think at this point uh everybody knows that it's going to be a, a slow road back to completely being normal, but we're looking for any signs of um, optimism and momentum in market. So it's well, all let's talk about all that work that you're doing because premium spaces may look very different 
once fans can use them again. And just to reiterate for everybody, Staples Center is one of the busiest sports facilities in the entire world. You have the Lakers, you have the Clippers of the NBA, you have the LA Sparks of the WNBA, and then the LA Kings of the National Hockey League, plus all those A-list concerts and events that take place there. And you lead the effort to sell all of those high-end premium spaces in the building for all of those events. How eerie has it been to walk through LA Live, that plaza area, and not have it being a beehive of activity? It's funny that you should mention LA Live um, because it is incredibly eerie insofar as not just being in the building and being used to seeing anywhere from 15 to 18,000, 20,000 people just heaving in that space with energy and um, and and just having that be the epicenter of activity for our campus. But right before the pandemic, unfortunately, um, you know, was the Kobe Bryant accident and LA Live, in addition to Staples Center, was an area that had an incredible amount of, of people uh, because they were there to honor um, and mourn Kobe. And so um, when you say LA Live, that is very much a part of the, the campus and the experience. And so my last memory of just the outdoor and indoor space that we occupy as employees, but then also as fans walking through um, LA Live to get to Staples Center for the longest time before uh, we got shut down, it was absolutely maxed out with, with people. And so you look at just how much has changed um, from that time and to have, you know, not a lot of the restaurants open, not a lot of the same energy and activity um, in and around downtown. Um, yeah, certainly it is eerie. And I have not been back in the building for any of the games. There are very strict codes around who can and should be there. And so um, I am not essential at this point, but I do hear that it is just a, a different experience. Um, obviously than what we even see on TV to not have fans. And um, I know that impacts players, it impacts all of us because we just want to be back. Um, but yeah, stark contrast to what uh, my last experience was before the pandemic hit. Wow. That tuna fish sandwich in the front part of your drawer is probably stale by now. Uh, I hope yeah. you got that taken care of before you, uh, you exited yeah, the building. Seriously, I've been back to the office a, a few times. Um, and man, it is, it is interesting to walk through the building. And it's, it's, I, I look at Staples Centers just taking a, uh, a rest. Um, for 20 plus years, that building has been going nonstop. And um, this is just a little breather. We'll be back. Um, it's quieter, it's cleaner, <laughs> and we're going to be better. Um, so I, I, I do look forward to very much being back in the office and being back in the building and seeing everything in and around downtown um, re-energized. Well, let's talk about the spaces that you represent, because certainly they're some of the most high priority and, and most coveted spaces in all of sports. They're in Staples Center. How different will it look in your opinion? What sort of things are you talking about doing differently that wouldn't have been there uh, just a year ago? 
Well, there's so much that's changing, Bill, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of these conversations around the food and beverage experience, around uh, the spatial seating, if we have some reduced capacity uh, modules, the reduced suite um, capacities, all of these things, plexiglass in more places than we could have ever imagined. That was just you know, if you were sitting at the glass for a hockey game and now plexi is something that could, you know, very well be dividing, you know, uh, different seats. So there's a lot of things that that come into play. We had a renovation that was put on hold uh, before the pandemic. And so we're looking at um, what does that look like now coming out of this and even office spaces. I mean, top to bottom, every organization is looking at um, efficiencies in you know, ingress, egress, how staff fans have an experience that is safe, that is um, going to still provide the same level of engagement. And um, so we're looking at a lot of different things. I can't say exactly how it's going to look because I don't know exactly how we're going to come back yet. But this is we were talking earlier about how busy it's been just thinking through not just a single scenario. We're so used to doing business a certain way. And now we have to think of multiples of what that could look like, right? There isn't just one, one way anymore. And so I think that's produced a lot more energy around um, how we come back and how many different scenarios we have to be ready for. So, you know, you've got so many different psychographic profiles of fans you know, there's a different fan that's an NHL fan that's different than the NBA, that's very different than the W, and is also very different in the concerts and the other events that you put on. Which of those crowds do you think will be hardest to try to corral once things start up? Do you think that there'll be a difference in the way people will respond to how they have to behave in the stadium? I think your super fan is always going to be uh, showing up because they love the sport. They're dying hard, hard for their team and they can't wait to come back. So I think you're still going to get some, some fans in the building and, and anxious to um, see their team live again. But for premium, because it does encompass all of the things that you just mentioned, I, I think it's going to be hardest for for the fans to come back because it is a large investment around other things that might not pull at your heartstrings. For companies and larger businesses that have been able to survive a little bit better through um, through this because of their bandwidth, because of um, the way that they're structured, I think that that's a little bit of an easier um, transition back. But, you know, there's a different story for, for everybody. And I think that's the most important thing that we've been learning is not to make any assumptions about who or what um, is going to have the easiest path forward. Everybody has such a unique story and everybody has such a, um, a different journey um, behind and ahead of them that we're really engaging in a way that's more uh, customized to whoever is on the opposite end of that Zoom call or, or phone call, because um, it's easy to make assumptions right now, but um, we really don't know. And so the, the best thing for us to do is ask and to find out and to hear all the stories and to get all of the perspectives. And that's been such a rich learning experience in just the human um, dynamic and how people 
are resilient in the time of, of great crisis and how this is really affecting so many people and so many companies that maybe we wouldn't have expected. Uh, and so the learning curve continues and that's only through having um, meaningful conversations with as many people as we possibly can. Well, let's talk about that because that really, I think, is indicative of your personality. You are, I would call it, you've got this spirit of aloha that is all about you and that you've done such a marvelous job of being approachable. In fact, I might call you one of the more approachable people in our industry. Do you, is there something that you train others to do to be able to be that? Because it takes a certain type of individual to have the patience to listen and to really get beyond what's happening. Is there something that you might suggest to others as they ramp up again that would benefit them going forward with those fans that you just described? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm big on trying to make a connection with somebody. What we sell sometimes is secondary to the connection and the trust that we can build with somebody and, and really having a, an organic relationship. Coming at it with um, two just big things in, in life and in work that I think if we can really center on, we come out so much better is one to just have gratitude, gratitude that like we have a job that we can have these conversations that we can engage in a meaningful way with people and that we have a unique opportunity with sports to create memories and impact that stay with people well beyond our relationship or their contract um, I think that that is so special. And so to take us out of actually what the job is and to be grateful and humbled by the fact that we work in an industry and for a company that allows us to have impact in people's lives and businesses is, um, is really a blessing. And so if you can be grateful for that and if you can approach your job and every conversation and to be really present for that person, you get so much out of it and you can find ways to connect people within our, our membership, within our industry, within our company. And those relationships turn out to just be so enriching on a personal and professional level. And so I talk about how work and life is such a blend of all just really good things and if you can just kind of keep that top of mind, I think you operate in a way that feels um, really organic for people. And it doesn't always mean that you're going to get the sale, but what it does mean is that you've got a champion for you because you've then had a conversation with somebody who can maybe get you a referral or connect you to somebody else, or maybe now's not the time, but down the road it will be. And, you know, the more that we can just do good, um, I believe that it comes back. And so I think that's how I operate. So trying to lead by example, but then also to really cultivate a culture um, within our premium group, because working in premium means when you're dealing with the top echelon of companies and buyers. And so it's really easy to have hubris, um, knowing that you are operating at one of the highest levels of investment within our building. Um, and so just kind of bringing it back back to um, why we're doing it and what that impact can be and to stay really focused on just being um, eternally grateful for the opportunity um, is really important. 
We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years, and I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark, and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zalaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Sher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com demo. That's isbi360.com demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. You're really more of a holistic leader, it seems. You want to make sure that your people are performing well, but you've also made it clear that you want them to take care of themselves to be at their best. Could you describe your philosophy about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about the the wellness piece and how that's kind of bubbled up during quarantine is something that a lot of people are more, more focused on, whether it's their nutrition or their fitness or meditation. And I was talking to one of our um, service managers the other day. She's like, I never thought I'd be this much of a hippie. Like I'm burning sage. I've got all the senses firing and all these things. I'm like, I think that's wonderful. You know, she has a sleep routine and, um, I think that's all just really great byproducts of having more time to focus on what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it, any of it, right? And make some sense of it. Sleep is really important. I I talk about that a lot with our group. And it really boils down to this is if you really care about the people that work for you, they need to then in turn really care about themselves and the way that they participate in um, our culture, because if you're tired and you're burnt out and you're frustrated and you're anxious and all of these things that can get to all of us, if you're not focusing on that and bringing attention to when you might need to take a mental health day or um, put up your hand and say, it, it's too much, or I can't, um, you know, what good is anybody going to be for the group? Um, you're not. And I, and I say this all the time, but we can spend hours on the best business plan imaginable. It is perfect. But if your people aren't bought in, if your people are too tired to, you know, to care, if they're too burnt out to give it any attention, then what good is it, right? Like you have to start with the people and 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 how they're going to be able to deliver um, all of the deliverables. And so I don't see how you can't focus on wellness and making sure that everybody's well-being is in check and that everybody is checking themselves to make sure they're showing up to do the work. Um, so it's the, you know, the mask on the airline kind of scenario that everybody uses, but it's so true. And, um, and so that kind of um, caring, I think is a little bit more 
um, prevalent now than it ever has been as mental wellness um, surfaces as as one of the things that, you know, in sports, we've got to be really focused on. You can't just brush over it because a lot of people have burnt out and, um, you know, we, we've got to just be aware that it's a well, thing. And, and we've not been very good at that as an industry. We've burnt people out more than we can imagine. And probably people from the outside that are listening to this thinking, really, is that what's happening in sports? Well, yeah, it has been. I think for some time, and, and the philosophy that you're espousing here was really the exception rather than the norm. Do you expect this sort of leadership style that you have or some version of it uh, to be far more prevalent coming out of COVID? I think we're going to have to just bring attention to it because I was certainly in the camp of, I don't need a lot of sleep. I want to be the first one in after a long, hard nights, you know, prospecting at the game. And I want to show everybody that I can do more, that I never say no, that I'm always up for whatever. And, um, you know, that, that comes at a little bit of a cost. Right. And so we've got to at least be able to come out of this pandemic and look at, and, and it's never happened before in sports, at least not for us. It is get in the pit, um, show everybody that you show up, uh, be there for as much as you can and um, work as, as hard and as long as you possibly can, because those are the optics of our industry. And this thing has turned all of that on its head, because now we know that everybody is capable of working from home. Now we know that we can produce, we can elevate, we can, um, we can do really good things outside of the office. Do I think we're going to be a work from home permanent? No, but I think there's going to be some adaptation of um, what's possible. And we need to look at that and reinvent what that can look like. And for some people, they're not great working from home. So they're going to want to be in the office. And that's going to be where they, you know, amplify their efforts. For other people, this is uh, a, a wake up call. Like I can, I'm actually really good at these things. And I just, I look at one thing in particular where um, for me, I'm trying to just do an audit of when I'm good and what my behaviors are. And in the morning, I feel so fresh, so clear after meditating and journaling and all these things and walking the dogs, if I can, it is such a great time to crush work instead of sitting in a car and commuting for an hour in Los Angeles. So where's my time better spent in a car or optimizing all of this work um, you know, that I could be doing from home and then coming in. So just a lot of different things that, that we can look at and certainly our, our carbon footprint and the way that we drive around town and having Zoom calls with somebody um, as kind of a first step instead of driving all the way to their office for an hour and a half, sitting in a lobby and then having them cancel and then driving back like that's that's hours out of our day that we're not going to get back, that we have zero productivity. Um, and could it be just as good over a Zoom call? Sure. Nothing is as good as being in person. I, I am a firm believer that the the face-to-face -face interaction is, is so valuable. Um, but there's a lot of things that we can use technology and this time to um, create better efficiencies. So I'm excited for that. 17 years you've been at the Staples Center. 17 years, very few people last in a position or in a facility as long as you have. You've had several promotions. You've gone, uh, climbed the ranks. Most in your position 
have chosen to move from city to city to climb the ladder perhaps a little more quickly or in a different way, but, but you've not chosen to do that. Why is that? Because I work for such an amazing company. I'm so blessed to have landed at AEG and um, found the leadership and the vision and the development of their assets in such a way that it's always impacted me and impacted premium and the people and the conversations that I engage with. It's always so dynamic. It's always so effervescent. It's always so um, meaningful that is not to say that I haven't had good and bad sort of um, experiences. There's certainly been times where it's been really, really hard but finding a way to get through that has been so rewarding because it's through the challenges that you can appreciate all of the good times. That's when you can innovate, as we just said. That's when we can find better efficiencies. That's when you look around and you see who's willing to like go through that battle with you. And to say that I have colleagues that have been in this with me for just as many years makes me feel just so, um, again, blessed and rewarded because it hasn't always been amazing. And sometimes, you know, and I, and I don't knock people that have to move around um, because I think that's another way of manufacturing moves and opportunities. I was just telling somebody uh, the other day about this journey and I referenced Forrest Gump because when they went out on the Jenny and they were fishing and nothing was coming up and things were really tough. And then all of a sudden this huge storm hits and it just wipes out all of your competition. It wipes out all of the things that um, just couldn't hold on or didn't hold on or whatever. Right. But when that boat just kind of like gimps back into the shore, sometimes that's how I feel is, I've just weathered this incredible storm, but I'm the only fishing vessel left. So yeah, how about me for the promotion? How about me for like that? I'm still here, right? I made it. And, um, but regardless of, of how it feels or how you got there, it is all part of the journey. And I'm just so grateful to be on it. And, and I'm so lucky that I work for amazing people and visionaries and, um, and entrepreneurs. And um, in that way, I feel like, Man, I, I just I I can't imagine being anywhere else. And certainly there's been opportunities to have conversations and it's always easy to see that the grass could be greener somewhere else. But it's also helped me just really focus um, on how good I do have it and to be back in my hometown and to be in Los Angeles and to be with these brands um, and to be so closely aligned uh, with that has just been um, just awesome. How fun is it to be the resident historian? You have 17 years that many others would not have that have jumped from place to place to place. And you've known individuals, certainly in the premium side or, or within the stadium itself for that length of time. How valuable has that been to you? It's been absolutely incredible because A, I have relationships with colleagues inside the company that we've grown up together. I mean, and it's actually 18 years this past January. So 
just to, you know, date myself even more, but uh, incredible colleagues that I've been able to work with and, and leaders, um, incredible clients and members that I've been able to have relationships with, because not only have I been able to stay in the same company, but I've been able to stay in premium. And so to be at the level that I am right now and hold every single position that has, you know, that's ever worked in premium, uh, that's kind of amazing because I feel like I can connect with what everybody's doing. Now we are much better than we were um, 18 years ago. So a lot's changed, but at the same time, I really have a deep appreciation for how far we've come. And I've been able to see that uh, progress with a static building, with a static product and within a premium space. And so that is super unique. And, um, and I feel just, again, incredibly lucky that I'm able to, to do that. And so, um, yeah, I look forward to how much more the company is going to grow, how different my conversations are going to be able to be. Um, I mean, now that I can talk about a pandemic, I've been able to talk about championships, uh, lockouts, uh, recessions, regentrifications players, uh, you name it. I mean, there's been every major conversation you could possibly imagine. We've been able to go through it and, and it's not going to stop. And that's what keeps um, working in sports. Just such a rewarding thing because it always changes. So great. Well, you, you have also been a champion of diversity and inclusion. Uh, you've been what I might consider a real model for women's advocacy in sports. And certainly at the level that you've achieved, uh, you've become a role model for others. When you look at all the change that's taken place in the last few years, what are you most excited about and what's most frustrating to you that isn't moving as fast as you'd like in those, in those areas? Hmm. I love, I love that question. I, I, I don't love how we've gotten to where we are in the last couple of years but I do love that we are having more elevated and intentional conversations around diversity. And sometimes for me, it's um, easy to forget that I'm a woman and easy to forget that I'm Asian because I've had the good fortune of being able to work for people who um, treat me with the same level of respect that they would anybody else in the organization. And for that, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really blessed, but um I think that there is so much more um, focus on it right now, which is great. And we are moving as fast as we possibly can as a company to advance the dialogue. We're in Black Heritage Month right now, and we've had some amazing speaker series and um, movement towards having more inclusion. And that's happening at the highest level of our company. And so it's really exciting. Um, I am honestly so proud of our company and our global partnerships division for what they've been able to build out in a very short amount of time that is going to create the change necessary to have um, a lasting impact. And so I think it's more on everybody individually to make sure that you're just doing what you can at the pace that is comfortable for you to um, bring awareness to this. And I am still very much uh, learning and uh, trying to get educated on um, what I can do. And um, so I just encourage everybody to have some sort of uh, an active role in just learning or listening 
or participating in the change for good. And um, I'm actually more impressed by how quickly we've been able to mobilize as a company than I am on the side of, gosh, I wish we could go faster. Um, We're also not hiring right now. So there's certain (laughs) things that are prohibitive for us to kind of get going on. But um, but I know that once we we come out of this, it's it's going to it's going to be different. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. And for that, I am really excited. And I try to, as often as possible, keep engaging in conversations that are uncomfortable so that I can get better at understanding my um, my weaknesses in this area. Well, it's such a unique situation for everyone and particularly in sports. And I think those who are looking in from the outside from sports may not realize what a seismic shift this has been. Is this moment in time in your opinion, a chance for the industry to do something or perhaps be something that they have never been or maybe never come again? Is there this window of opportunity that exists to change or improve something right now that you see? Again, changing something right now is um, a little unique just because of our virtual experiences. But um, I don't think that there is a singular thing that is going to um to come of this, I think there's going to be a lot of things and a lot of opportunities that we're going to be able to focus on. And I think you did a really great job of highlighting some of those. One is mental wellness and having a real focus on that. Another is this work-life, you know, harmony that we need to continue crafting. It's always been work-life balance, which I think is a misnomer because balance um, kind of means equal parts and equal measure, which work and life isn't. Um, As we all know, when you work in sports, there's sometimes one that takes more of a priority over the other, but we can make up some ground in other ways. And so I think that that work-life harmony is something else that's gonna come come out of this. Um, Diversity, for sure, has to be something that we continue having dialogue around. And I know we will as a department, for sure, on the premium side, as a company, absolutely um, being committed to that. Um, And beyond that, I do think that the virtual integration of all things is going to continue driving um, our efficiencies. And we've done a lot of auditing during this time of our CRM systems, the way that we analyze, the way that we look at our existing platforms and see what other output we can get from that. Um, Also on a human scale, we're seeing what people are capable of and what people in um, high pressure kind of situations can can produce. And so there's a lot of resiliency measures that we're, we're looking at. And so Bill, there's so many things and I'm excited <laughs> for it. And I think it's a great opportunity to continue finding um, silver linings during this time. I am not discrediting at all that this is a devastating economic um, health and financial impact to so many people. Um, but just for me and trying to survive this, it is continuing to try to find little silver linings, whatever they may be, and redefining what our wins are as a, as a group um, is super important. It's not, it's not traditional. We are definitely not in a normal space right now, so we've got to do some redefining. Well, speaking of silver linings, I like to have some fun at the very end of my podcast, so I've got these rapid-fire questions 
that are just kind of fill in the blanks for you, just kind of fun things. I did not prep you for this. So they're just fun things. The first thing that comes to mind when you hear these, you ready? All right. All right. Your favorite binge watch during the pandemic. Queen's Gambit. Oh yeah. That's recent. Good. Besides sports, the one thing you've missed most during COVID. Traveling. Oh, of course. Why would I? Of course, traveling. Why did I think of that? That's almost a that's a softball question right there. The board game you thought you'd never pull out of the closet again that somehow saw the light of day in 2020. Not a board game, but lots of puzzles. Puzzles, those count. Yes, lots of puzzles. Your favorite musical artist on your workout mix. Rage Against the Machine. Cool. Uh, the favorite sports team that you've not worked for. Formula One, not a sports team, but a sport. Yeah, that works. Uh, The sit-down restaurant that you've ordered out from most in 2020. Like for DoorDash. Sit-down should be a stretch, but El (laughs) Torosco, Mexican food. All right, very good. Uh, Favorite comedian or comedian? Sebastian Maniscalco. Cool, good choice. Uh, Favorite thing about LA? Weather. The biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months? Our comeback. Yeah, the whole thing. And last but not least, one bold prediction you would have for sports and entertainment going forward. I don't know how bold it is, but I do believe the Lakers can win another championship this year. Mm. Well, I don't know that that's so bold. I think you you have a darn good shot. You have a, a, a fairly decent core. And some guys that have been there. I don't like to put it out there though, right? Like you just kind of <laughs> want it to happen and not have to do the, I told you so just, you know, straight banner hanging celebration, you know, you heard it here first. So there we go. <laughs> okay. So grateful for your time. Michelle Kajuara, senior vice president of premium seating sales and service of Staples center at AEG. Thank you so much for your time here on the crowd makers. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of The Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening, and so long for now. This is The Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.